0: Our uh, reading tonight is from uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. I plead with you, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is word.
1: Evening, everybody. My name is Phil. I'm the Associate Vicar, and this is a fabulous passage we've got tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we pray as we look at your word tonight that you would deepen our trust in you. Father, we, we long for it selfishly because we, we don't want to be eaten up by worry. But more than that, we pray that we would long to bring glory to you as we live in faithful, prayerful, trustful dependence on you and your promises. Amen. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. (laughs) Hakuna Matata. It ain't no passing craze. means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. (laughs) Wonderful. The only problem, of course, is that... Even in The Lion King, the only way to achieve that is to check out on all of your responsibilities and spend your life goofing around with a flatulent warthog. And it's just not really an option for most of us. And actually, even in The Lion King, eventually Simba has to re-engage with the serious troubles, the concerns, the worries that have driven him away. He has to finally face up to the things that had made him so anxious and fearful to begin with. Now, few of us are in need of more things to make us anxious or nervous or worried. And, well, the gift that keeps on giving, apparently COVID has, uh, has just heaped a whole load more anxiety on our shoulders. Uh, the Lancet, the, the medical journal, published a, a large global piece of research last month that said it was largely Western world focused, but it did cover an awful lot of the globe. And it said that anxiety since the beginning of the pandemic had risen 26%. Probably add that up a couple more digits this week with the latest news about Omicron. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of anxiety and worry. And that in itself actually should be hugely encouraging because it means this is not a new problem. It's not the case that, oh, if only I'd been born in a different time or or in a different place, I would have a worry-free life. Now, the Bible speaks again and again about anxiety and worry because it's just part of the universal human experience. Now, of course, some circumstances are particularly worrying, like a pandemic, and some of us are particularly prone to worry. But none of us can expect a worry-free life. That is just not possible for a human being. It's just not possible. As I say, the the Bible has a lot of wisdom on the subject, but tonight our aim is just to focus in and see what we learn in these these verses in Philippians 4 towards the end of this letter. How How do we learn how to handle anxiety from these verses? And wonderfully, God promises that you are not a hostage to worry and anxiety. There is something you can do when the fears crowd in. There is something you can do when the worst case scenarios start to play out in the wee hours of the morning. God says very simply, his children can pray. His children can pray. Now, um, we're getting to the end of this uh, letter we've been looking at um, to, to the Philippian church, the church in the in ancient Greece in Philippi. And, and Paul mentions, it's like any other business at this point, Paul mentions a whole heap of themes. They're not tightly related. There's no therefore and because linking the, the different sections. He's just dealing a lot more briefly with a number of things that he wants the church to know before he signs off his letter. But still, the bit that we're going to focus in on anxiety and prayer in verses 6 to 7 it, it does have a context. It is shaped by the stuff that comes before and after. And so we will just briefly look at those bits before we focus in. So let's start with uh, 2 to 5. Verse 2, Philippians 4, verse 2. I plead with you, Odea, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, the language is military. He's saying, look, these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, they have served with me. They fought alongside me in the very difficult and dangerous task of proclaiming Jesus Christ in a culture that was very hostile and defending the gospel when people were attacking it and seeking to undermine it. He's saying, these are brave women, key ministry partners. And uh, to carry on the military analogy, the problem is there's been some friendly fire. They've, uh, They've They've started taking pot shots at each other and they've not managed to resolve it. And so Paul addresses it. And he does so basically, honestly, openly and straightforwardly. He reminds them, look, you're united in the gospel work. You've been serving alongside. Why are you firing at each other when you've been serving alongside me and the other gospel workers? He reminds them of their unity with all God's people whose names are written in the book of life. And then he calls on someone in the church who's in a position to help them. Look, just will you please um, gently knock some heads together on this one? Uh, point very simply. You see, good gospel people can sometimes fall out, and sometimes it takes somebody else to help them lovingly resolve it. Just, look, this is normal church life. Don't be surprised if occasionally people fall out here. It doesn't always mean there's a right and a wrong. Sometimes people just fall out and other people need to help them sort it out. Okay, he moves on then, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The call to rejoice comes again. Now, that's not because, well, we Christians are just glass half full, kind of optimistic, happy people who burst into song all the time. It's not at all the point. The point is that we should be full of joy because if we have a solid grasp of the gospel, the central message of what Jesus has done, if we've got a solid grasp of what's at the heart of Christianity, we will have a reason to rejoice, even when the circumstances of life feel pretty average. Because think about what the gospel is. The, The gospel that tells me that God, the Son, gave up all his power All his position, all his privilege, so that he could come and die on a cross so that you could be forgiven and welcomed into the family of God. The gospel that tells me that all of God's riches, eternal life, to become his son or daughter and share in the new creation which he's preparing, all of that doesn't come to, well, the best people who deserve it, but it's a free gift a free gift paid for by Jesus in his blood and held out by God the Father with an open hand to any who will take it. In other words, when you get that gospel, well, there's a reason to rejoice, whatever's going on in life. So rejoice, he says, rejoice, rejoice. But it's a command because it doesn't come naturally to most of us. And so he commands us to rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, he then says. (laughs) Now, if you could be known for just one thing, if you could be known for just one thing, what would you choose to be known for? I wonder how many of us think the first thing, oh, I just, I don't care what else people think of me. I just want to be known as a man or woman who's gentle. Not many of us, probably. But he says that's a very important thing, especially because the Lord is near. Near geographically, he's God, he's everywhere, but also near in terms of time. Because it won't be long before we'll see Jesus. Looking out on the face, very few of us have got more than 70 years before we see Jesus. He's near, so seek to live for him. And then we get the command that I want to focus on, which comes in verses 6 to 7. And you'll see you've got three points on the sheet just to help us walk pretty simply through it. Don't be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There you go. Worry, stress, anxiety, sleepless nights are bad enough. Now you get to feel guilty and ashamed because you do get anxious, and as a Christian, you're commanded not to here. Thanks for that. What a wonderful thing to come to church and be filled with guilt. Mm. Now, here's where the context really matters. Not the context so much of the verses either side, but the context of the whole book of Philippians. Now, those of you with a good memory, maybe some alarm bells were going in your head as you heard Paul say, do not be anxious, because, well, hang on a second. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul was talking about a chap called Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus was somebody who had been sent by the church at Philippi to Rome, where Paul is in prison, to look after him. Uh, but Epaphroditus proved to be, um, with all due respect, a fat lot of help. <laughs> In that uh, He got so ill, he almost died. Paul had to look after him. Thankfully, he didn't die, but Paul then sends him back. Interestingly, as Paul talks about the decision to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi, he says, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him back to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Chapter 2.20. Then in chapter 3, he talks about the worry he felt when he learned there are false teachers who are subtly distorting the gospel. And the danger is that they're going to take the Philippians away from a, a deep trust in Jesus and living for Jesus. And he writes in 3.18, I've often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, he's so anxious and worried as he writes about this, that tears are streaming down his face. And actually, in a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, 28, he uses that same word anxiety to describe how he feels when he learns about churches where there's persecution and false teaching and, and the Christians are, are struggling with temptation. So Paul is not free from anxiety. Even in this letter, he's shown us he's not free from anxiety. And also, no, Paul's answer to the anxiety and stress he felt with Epaphroditus illness wasn't just to pray, it was to send Epaphroditus home. So clearly, Paul is not saying here, if you're a real Christian, you'd never get anxious at all. And you can just say, I won't be anxious, and it disappears. His point is, there is a but. Do not be anxious, but anxiety doesn't have to have the last word for a Christian. It's not a disease without a cure. There is something we can do about it. Now, sometimes we can, quote, send Epaphroditus home. Sometimes we can deal with or get rid of the source of anxiety. But not always, actually, and not often, and very often, we shouldn't step away from responsibilities. It's worth saying too that sometimes, sometimes where anxiety becomes crippling or tips over into panic attacks, there can be a medical component and you'd be very, very wise to talk to your GP as well as think about what to do. Now, there are lots of things that are sometimes useful or possible when we're struggling with anxiety. But in the second half of the verse, Paul tells us what we can always do. We can always pray. (laughs) <laughs> that thing that for, for most of us in the well resourced West is our kind of last resort. If nothing else works, we can always pray. Paul says, no, 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 this is our first and best resource. We can pray. Let's see how he tells us how to pray and why prayer is the best answer to anxiety. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. The antidote to worry, the answer to anxiety, verse 6, is prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray in every situation. In other words, nothing is too small to pray about. Nothing. If it's big enough to keep me awake at night, it's big enough to bring to God. Isn't that amazing? God is saying to you and me, it, if it troubles you, bring it to me. You know, God is sorting out the expansion of galaxies and the, the trajectory of comets. And, and he's uh, dealing with the, the rising and falling of empires and listening to the the urgent requests of Christians being having their villages burned in northern Nigeria by Fulani tribesmen. And, and yet he's not too busy for you to say, God, I'm struggling to sleep because I'm worried about work. He said, everything, anything, come to me. See, he never has too many plates to spin. He's always got time to give full attention to each and every one of his children. He's God. He's not like me. He's infinite. You have his full attention every time you turn to him. The best earthly father-child relationship that you've experienced or seen in another family. It's just a pale shadow to help you understand that your heavenly father cares for you and wants you to come to him. So pray to him and burden yourself on him. Now, two things are stressed about this prayer, the way that we should pray when we're worried. It's described as prayer and petition is the first thing. So this prayer is, is also described as petition. Now, petition is a, is a technical word in one sense. It's, it's a supplication and a treaty made to a great ruler or a judge, a king or an emperor. He's saying, remember, when you pray to God, you pray to the Almighty One. When you, when you bring your worries to Him, you bring your worries to the One who spoke a word and seven septillion stars appeared who spoke a word and split the Red Sea, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. There's nothing that you might bring before him that he can't handle. It's a petition to the Almighty. That's what prayer is. So don't just pray, dear God, pray Almighty God, you who spoke creation into being, who controls the movements of every atom in existence, and who owns the riches of the universe, my Father, I pray to you. Now, just as nothing is too small to trouble God with, nothing is too big. He's that kind of a God. Bring him everything and know that nothing is too big. The second thing, so firstly, is petition supplication before a great mighty one. Secondly, we are to pray to our mighty loving Father with thanksgiving. Now, I don't often feel like thanksgiving when I'm urgent and desperate enough to get on my knees and pray. But it's a very important thing. See, when we thank God, we remind ourselves he has answered my prayers in the past. When we thank God, we remember, hey, look, he's generously given me a whole heap of stuff I never even bothered to ask him for. Thanksgiving has a profound impact on my worrying heart. When I I go through the discipline of making sure I spend time thanking God, it's like I'm preaching to my own heart, preaching God is good, God is generous, and God is faithful. Now, what do you want to ask for? So spend time thanking God and get specific. List all the things you can think of that he's given you. Here's a clue. It's everything you have. There is nothing that you and I have that is not a gift from God. So make sure you give yourself a bit of time. But spend time specifically thanking God for what he has given you. Start with forgiveness of sins. Tonight, maybe a warm house. The answer to something you prayed for months ago. I have to say, preparing this, I did start to wonder whether some of my own battles with worry aren't tied to how little time I spend giving thanks to God specifically. I think I'm aware that that's the bit of my prayer life that has shriveled the most in the last few years. And I'm resolved to try and change that. Don't be anxious, but pray about everything. And lastly, God will give you his peace. Here's the promise. God will answer your prayers. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, even if he doesn't change your situation, he will change you. He will give you peace. His peace. The peace of God. Not the peace of knowing, look, everything will work out the way I would sort it if I was in control. But the peace of knowing God is good. And he has everything in his hands, and his hands have scars that prove his love. I can trust him. He will do what's right. And that piece is described in, well, actually, it's yet more military language. Uh, Philippi had a Roman garrison. It was a Roman uh, colony. And so they, they would be very aware of being guarded by the military. And he says, look, this, this piece is like, it's like a garrison that guards you guards your heart and your mind. Now that should remind us that the real spiritual battle is not whether I get the stuff I want, whether I get the relationship, the work, uh, the finances, whether I get the stuff I want. The real battle is whether I'll cling to my faith, my trust, my belief that God is good, my conviction that he is my father and he loves me. His peace guards us because his peace holds us in that faith. I know you are good. And so I will not give in to the doubts that tell me I can't trust you and I'd better sort it out myself. Now, I think one of the challenges here for us is whether we will pray for the peace God has promised or just pray for the change that I want. I'm not saying don't pray for the change that you want. But will I pray for the peace God has promised as well as praying for the change I want? Corrie ten Boom, a remarkable Dutch Christian who was sent to a concentration camp by the Nazis when she was young because her family had hidden Jewish refugees. And in the unimaginable stress and horror of book camp, she wrote, When I look at the world, I'm distressed. When I look myself, I'm depressed. But when I pray to God, I find rest. That's the peace of God. Now, it might seem, as we move on to verses 8 and 9, that it's just a random list of additional things. You know, Paul can see the postman coming up the path and uh, just fill up the page. But look at how the final uh, final phrase of verse 9 links it back to verse 7. So verse 8, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Do You see? The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. The God of peace will be with you. I wonder if he's hinting, look, there's just no point in spending hours praying to God for peace and rest from my anxiety and worries if I then spend the next few hours doom-scrolling the news or filling my mind with insecurity and discontent from the perfect lives on Instagram or just fill my head with the functional godlessness of most of the shows that we watch. And I, I can't expect to find God's peace if the examples, the patterns, the models of life that I'm following are radically different from the ones that God encourages me to follow. So if you like, if a, if a sort of peaceful trust in God is physical fitness, that's the image. If you think of peaceful trust in God as being physically fit, verses 6 to 7, they're like a workout plan that gets you fit and strong, so you're free of, of unfitness. But then verses 8 to 9 are like a diet, There's no point in following the the workout plan if your diet is Pop-Tarts for breakfast, Krispy Kreme for lunch, and Domino's for dinner. Dreamy as that would be. But there's, you know, it's just, hang on, there's there's no point in, in doing all the fitness bit if what you're taking in is just filling you with junk. What you put into your mouth affects your bodily health. I hope that's no great surprise to any of us. What we put into our minds affects our spiritual health. And how we live our lives affects our spiritual health. And so I'm not sure these bits are so radically disconnected as I used to think. Actually, how I live does affect whether I live in God's peace. What I watch, what I think about does affect how much anxiety I have. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything, and God will give you peace. Now, I imagine at that point, a number of us are thinking, if I did a thought experiment, how many of you put up your hands and admit that the thought is in your head of, all very lovely, I do pray, and I don't find that this is my experience. I'm still pretty marked by anxiety, and there is still precious little peace in my heart. Well, look, four little things on that. Sometimes the answer is, I think you've just forgotten what it used to be like before you got in the habit of prayer. Actually, you are, <laughs> goodness me, you're far less anxious than you used to be. We sometimes just forget how much we've changed. Sometimes we need friends to encourage us. You're allowed to do that, people. Um, we're allowed to encourage one another, and we should encourage one another. Because often, we are it's like, your granny telling you you've grown lots. You know, I haven't grown at all. It's just because you're not aware you've grown. But people who see you less regularly can see the change. When you see change in people, encourage them. For some of us, we we feel like we're still anxious and lacking in peace because we're just not aware of how much God has been at work in us. Second thing to say is, as I've said, uh, some, of us, some of us probably do need to get along to the GP, and there, there may be all sorts of things that we're not, that we could do with a bit of help with. Um, thirdly, sometimes there may be an issue with how I pray, with how I pray. You know, Dear God, I'm, I'm so stressed about my review at work. I know I'm not doing well. My boss just doesn't rate me. And if I lose this job, I lose my visa. I don't know what I'll do. I can't afford to stay in London. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen i don't feel any peace i mean prayer doesn't work <laughs> I'm not sure that's prayer i mean it's it's more of a kind of unpacking of and meditating on my worries in the presence of god than actually praying to god i mean if you think about uh, if you think about the things that cause you anxiety as big heavy weights in a great big sack that weighs you down I can take them out of the sack and look at them and feel how heavy they are and then put them all back in the sack and put it on my shoulders again and say, amen. Or I can take each one out of the sack and tie it to a promise of God and leave it there. Father God, I am worried about money at the moment. I know I shouldn't be, but I just can't stop worrying about it. You have promised you will provide. You've told us to... Seek first your kingdom and all the other stuff we need will be given to us. So help me to trust that. Dear God, I, I just am really, I feel a real anxiety that you're just going to get fed up with me. And, and eventually you're going to say, I've run out of patience. You're not coming to heaven at all. But you've promised that your son has paid for my sins and that you now see me as clothed in his righteousness. So, Father God, help me to live in that peace and that security. Oh, Lord. I know I should be excited about going to see the family for Christmas, but I'm just not sure how I can cope with the, the conflict and and. I'm just really worried. But Father, you have promised you are with us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. And you strengthen and you help us. So help me to know that you're with me. Help me to look to you and to trust in you. See, that's, that's not just thinking about the size of the problem. That's thinking about the promises that God has made that deal with that problem. And tying my stresses, my anxieties to God's promises. The hard thing, of course, is leaving them there. It's amazing how quickly we try to take them back, wrestle them off God and put them back in our safe little bag. But how we pray, how we pray can matter. Seek to pray this way, with thanksgiving, by petition to the Almighty One who can, trusting in His promises. Well, just as uh, how we pray can be an issue, so can what I pray for. And again, at the risk of being blunt, I wonder if uh, far too many of us, too much of the little time we spend praying is prayer for me. And Paul urges us to follow his example, do you see, in verse 9. What you've heard or received or seen in him, put into practice. When you read his letters, you see how he prays. His his prayers are recorded in most of his letters. I'm sure that must be partly in his mind as he says, look, put into practice what you've seen in me, having just spoken to us about prayer. And when you read his prayers, they're deep and they're rich and they're focused on God's glory and the spiritual growth of others and the spread of the gospel around the nations. And the truth is, look, I'm unlikely to enjoy God's peace if the only prayers I pray are me-focused, inward-looking prayers. That kind of prayer actually just fuels the self-obsession that makes me more anxious. But as we turn outwards, as we pray for the urgent needs of persecuted Christians who are clinging to faith in God and joy in the face of everything, as we pray for the spread of the gospel to unreached people groups, we find We find freedom from the self-focus that just feeds our anxieties, takes us out of ourselves, helps us to forget about ourselves a bit. And it's amazing the impact that has on our hearts. Anxiety left unaddressed eats away at us. It robs us of peace and joy and turns us in on ourselves. And it leads us to just grow in self-obsession and to be honest, that makes us boring and ugly to other people. And it just destroys us inside. But there is something we can do. We can bring our worries to a God who is mighty enough to act and loving enough to do anything we need. Isn't that wonderful? And if you learn to do that, well, you won't live a life that's free of worry. Paul shows us that. But anxiety, stress, and worry won't have the last word on you. Now, all of us, we start in different places tonight as we think about this battle. Some of us are highly strung natural warriors. If worrying was a spiritual gift, we would be the godliest people in the kingdom. Others of us are so laid back that people occasionally have to check for a pulse. It's, you know, we're just all different. But the point is whatever your starting point, as you develop a prayerful dependence on God, you will know less unhealthy anxiety and more of a peace which is not just a natural laid-back, chilled-out vibe, but is a deep and rich confidence that you're in the hands of a trustworthy God. And that is a wonderful thing. Look, I guess... uh, What are you doing in the light of of this? Pray. Um, I guess it would be a good thing. There are some questions at the bottom. It would be good to discuss with one or two others tonight afterwards. Discuss the questions. Talk about these things and then pray with one another. Offer to pray for one another. Pray specifically about this stuff. We're going to have a moment of quiet so we can do some business with God ourselves. And then uh, Will and Katie are going to... Lead us as a church in prayer. We're going to begin to do what we've been encouraged by God to do. The most extraordinary thing in the world, when you think about it, we, with no right, and with our mucky, mixed-up hearts, are going to speak words, and the almighty, Creator God of the universe is going to call for hush and listen. I'm going to give us um, a minute of quiet just so we can pray ourselves to God.